Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop, and we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads. So this season, we're going to take a look at hauntings, ghost stories, and the crimes behind them, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. This week, it's part two of our look at the Morehouse murders. Now, last week we finished by dealing with the murder of 31-year-old Nolene Patterson. Now, the manner of Nolene's murder is as gruesome as the others, but the thing that really stuck with us, and I assume stuck with all of you as well, was the jealousy issue. And the fact that Catherine basically gave David an ultimatum. It was, you know, it was Nolene or her. And so they killed her, buried her in the forest with the others. But Dad, you told me something before the mic was rolling. Something to do with Catherine doing something to the body. Is that correct? Yeah. Catherine, as they were about to bury victim number three, the attractive, you know, ex-air hostess, who... David had clearly been, you know, he he sort of, he just liked her. There may have been a bit of chemistry and Catherine uh, certainly picked up on that. So when they were burying Ms. Patterson, Catherine picks up a handful of dirt and on purpose, because this has all come out later in the interviews, purposely threw dirt right onto the dead woman's face as a final insult and a potential rival for David's affections. So this should by now, listeners, be giving you a sense of this most barbaric and quite frankly scary person. And Well, look, let's actually talk about the victims um, because the next victim, I can't believe I have to say the next victim, Mm. It's just this terrible laundry list. And it was only three days later, Paul. Yeah, so that's November 5. And um, the Burnies abducted uh, Denise Brown. And she was waiting to catch a bus. She was 21 years old at the time. And she made the grave mistake of, you know, saying yes to a ride from the Burnies. Mm. And once you're in the car with these two 
it's pretty. I, I believe they had a they had a knife out. Mm, yeah, you know, to her throat. To... They held it to her throat. Right. So what happened? So what happened then? Okay. So they would have been cruising as as we remember from last week, where the the conversation. You know, um, the demonic Catherine. Um, she would say, "I've got the munchies." And her partner in crime, if he concurred, he would say, oh, I've got the munchies too. And that was sort of locking in, like closing a padlock. Mm. The fate of the next victim is sealed. And we discussed also that they didn't bother disguising themselves, bearing in mind you couldn't be driving around with masks on your head. But when a girl comes out of a nightclub, she may be slightly affected by alcohol. I don't know. But a car rocks up with what appears to be a friendly couple. They offer her a lift. Gets in the car, knife to throat. They then take her back to the dreaded, the infamous, number three Morehouse Street. They get her inside. And you can only imagine, because it's night time, the girl has been told, we're hypothesizing here, but it just makes immense sense that in the motor vehicle they would be saying to her, if you make a noise, we're going to kill you. So as we all know, if you're in this terrible situation, the chances are you're going to be compliant and you'd be thinking all sorts of Oh, God, I'm just trying to think what you'd be thinking. You'd be thinking, okay, you'd be in terrible, terrible fear. But you'd also be thinking, you know, what may be, I'm not going to... In fact, I don't even think you'd be thinking about being killed. I think there's a sense of the unknown. You know things are bad. There's mm. a knife. Mm. They're holding it to your throat. They've got to get you out of that car in a suburban driveway without bringing to the attention any of the neighbours. So everything's, it'll be quiet. They get her into the house. They obviously get her into this the infamous bedroom and they chain her to the bed by her hands and ankles. They then raped her repeatedly. Then after that, because we know about um, the psychosexual guy that used to have to have sex at least six times a day, which call me old-fashioned, but that seems somewhat over the top. And we know that he used to use various techniques to prolong his erection by injecting directly into his penis cocaine and local anaesthetics. But then... They get her to phone her parents and tell the mum and dad that she's fine. How on earth the parents would not... And I, I don't know how... I don't, I've not been able to do research on how the parents, you know, would have reacted to her calling. This is Denise Brown? Yeah. I thought you said... The young that, girl. Uh, yeah, I thought you said that that was a different victim. The, um, the No, there was one where... No, no, there was one where... She, they got her to write to her parents to yep. say she'd gone to Queensland. Right, and but this is only a few days, like you said. So the last victim, Nolene Patterson, who they picked up on the Canning Highway, that was November the 1st, 
Mm. They kill her, they take her body into the forest, and at this point, I think all the bodies are buried pretty close to one mm. another, right? Yep. And yep. that's and so Nolene is the one who um, had allegedly had dirt thrown in her face from Correct. Catherine out of jealousy. So mm. November the fifth, four days later, Denise is kidnapped, assaulted, and then I think they killed her pretty quick, right? Um, they took well, her, yeah, so it's, okay, so according to what I'd read, they commit various monstrosities in the house, right? Mm, in the yes. house. For two days. For two days, and that's the house that we gave a, we read the real estate listing to last mm. episode mm. and recently mm. sold again. Yep. Then they take her to a pine plantation, so she's- Ganangara pine plantation. Yeah. Um, no, wasn't it Wanneroo? No, Ganangara. Okay. Okay, a pine plantation. Right, so, but that's that's. I mean, that's out. And I don't know what a pine plantation is. Hang on, this is. Hang on a second. I think I've driven through some of these. Really, it's well, li- Paul. It's it's still it, yeah. It's a it dense still- it, yeah. It's a it's a dense grid of pine trees. Mm. It is impenetrable. I mean, this mm. is. But oh, but, the, but they took her there during daylight. Um, and in New South Wales, there are. Well, when I was in the police force, we had four categories of sexual assault. But let's just let's just jump to the most serious category. So they've they've had her tied. She's been raped so many times by this guy. They take her to this forest, and David Burney rapes her again, and she's still alive, of course. So let's all pause for a moment listeners <clears throat> let's try and in some kind of way imagine how this young girl's feeling and then what happened was when night fell Catherine held a torch above Ms. brown now this is going to get pretty gruesome paul is that okay you know Catherine held a torch above um the girl because it was getting dark and david cut her neck with a knife whilst or was raping her again during intercourse he cut her throat Okay, so I think that's probably, let me think about this, possibly the worst thing we've ever discussed. Would you, I mean, we've, I, I kind of get lost in all the terror, but occasionally when I go through some of these things, I just, I find it, well, I find it really kind of unsettling. If it wasn't upsetting for you, I'd be concerned, but. But, but Paul, it goes on. She didn't die. He cuts her throat. She's not dying. She's making gurgling sounds from, like, emanating, not through her mouth, but from the neck wounds. Hang on a second. But, but, but just one sec, Dad. How do we know this? Because it's all it's all with record of interviews. Yeah, but, I mean, so this is what David has, David, I mean, I'm assuming David's the one who's... Paul, yeah. these two people, yeah. as is going to become revealed throughout this podcast, were very, very proud of what they had done. And they were happy to relay this in minute detail to the police at a later date. Okay, so they've basically come along and they're, you know, they're kind of reveling in, the, in, in what's happened. As a, as a kind of experiment and as a bit of a fuck you to these two, I don't want to, you know, I think it might be useful to kind of just boil it down to the, to the bare facts for this one. Uh, so... Well, she basically, this, this poor young girl was not, 
basically she was the the will to live which was, was yeah. extreme yeah. she basically refused to die so then Catherine goes to the car and retrieves a larger knife and david plunges it into her chest okay but what happened was the couple they dug a shallow grave to put her into this 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 shallow hole yeah as they're tossing earth over her mm. the young girl miss brown she sits up like something out of a fucking horror movie mm. that worse because this is real. And she gasped for breath. Now, this is all from the record of interviews. Yeah. Okay. So then David, he gets a shovel. Okay. And he then starts to stove her skull in. And she still tried to sit up. And then finally, David, Bernie bludgeons her head with an axe. Okay. And then... Okay, get ready for this. Catherine, the partner in in the vile, filthy crimes, later, when she was being interviewed, she said that that encounter left her squeamish about committing further murders. Unbelievable. It even affected her. Right. So, anyway, and then... 20 uh, so basically after 27 days of raping torturing and murdering david's his bloodlust he was on a high he was becoming uh, i don't even i don't even know he just he became uh he was on he was he was just obsessed and he just couldn't stop but there's one more victim mm. so the last victim oh god the last victim is in a way the most significant because we mentioned mm. her last episode up the front. Yep. So, so her name was Kate Moyer. She's 17 years old and she was the only victim to survive these two. Thank so, God. Yeah. So she runs into uh, a store, I believe a grocery store and she's naked and she's extremely upset. It's the 10th of November in the year 1986. And as established, dad, you were, you were on the force at this point. You were in forensics. And she basically does what any person would do in her situation. She's begging for the police. Now, the police get there, and then she tells them everything. The fact that she survived and got away is the reason we know about the previous four victims. There are rumors that there were more victims, but nothing Mm. confirmed. But then she basically tells the story, and she tells them... Oh, God. I mean... It's It's heavy. Yeah. She was... um... Kate was um, she was hitchhiking mm. along the Sterling Highway. It's a Sunday night. She'd been out with friends. Yeah, and she was ve- she was very drunk. Okay, and then she accepts a lift from a harmless-looking couple. That is how she described this couple. The couple drive her to their family home, number three Morehouse Street, that should be acid etched into everyone's brain by now. And she tried to open the car door, but there was no interior handle. Now. That's kind of part of the whole MO. You know, if you want to keep someone in the car, you know, today they have what are called those childproof locks where you can activate a little lever so that the person in the back, the kids can't just jump out in front of oncoming traffic. But in those days, they just simply removed the handle. So she's stuffed. And then David, he's, <clears throat> he's wearing Ugg boots. He pulls a butcher's knife out of the Ugg boot and he holds it to her throat. And, okay, she says to David, and this this is a quotation 
from the record of interview, she says to David, are you going to rape me or kill me? And David replies, we'll only rape you if you're good. Okay? I mean, Kate, who was 17 at the time, it's possible she's victim number five, potentially. Um, well, she is the, the fifth that we know of. But you're saying that, you know, if that um, she could have been victim five of more, right? Correct. But also, mm. it's it's possible that, that that very, very interesting thing that she says to David, are you going to rape or kill me? Almost shows, one wonders whether it shows that the the public were becoming somewhat aware that there was possibly, um, you know, serial killers in that vicinity because they were working very, very closely to, to where they lived. The first, so the first one, the first murder was Mary Nielsen. That was back on October the 6th. So this is... You know, it's almost a month later. I think it is. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's not a lot of time. If more, you, if you, yeah, it's more than a month later. But at this point, you know, like you said, it's it's suburbia. And also, Paul, do the maths. Multiply five mm. into a year. Yeah. And imagine that they had have kept going. Yeah. It's but it's it's just unbelievable. I'm just look. I am very curious because my mind is straying back to you know the. If not idyllic, then at least kind of um, unremarkable street. Mm. You know, mm. on Paul, um, Paul, very, very, very important. Yeah. This little next, um, this little bit of information, a snippet of information, is that Kate later recalled. Now she's in the car. Yeah. She's in the back, but nothing's happened. There's no knife. There's no drama. They they may have well may well have been engaged in just idle. Chit chat, but here is something really creepy. Kate later recalled, when being interviewed by the police, that Catherine Burney, whilst the three of them were in the car, said, I've got the munchies. Have you got the munchies? The secret sign that they'd found their next victim. Okay? And then the girl who, you know, Kate... She says later on that she knew that she was going to die. And she just said, I'll quote here, she said, you know you're going to die, but you don't acknowledge that to yourself. You just live it. Isn't that incredible? This girl, Kate, just so extraordinary. And then she was taken to Morehouse Street and the couple quizzed her about who she was and then they made her take a shower and smoke cannabis and sit down to watch movies. I mean, is this it's it's fascinating in a creepy way, Paul? The urge to run to the neighbor's house would be overwhelming. I know, I know, but she knew there was a knife involved. Then know, they made her dance to Dire Straits song Romeo and Juliet in front of the Bernies. Is that true? Mate, I'm, this is fact. Oh my god. She was made to dance to Dire Straits song Romeo and Juliet in front of the You know, you can only imagine. And then and I've seen a photograph of this, and it's really, really creepy. And if, if the listeners would like to perhaps just track this down, she remembered the mustard-coloured dressing gown of a rapist that you know, the guy wore and the shiny gold chains that he used to secure her. Isn't that incredible? 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And she says that in her opinion at the time... She had a 200% chance of dying and a 5% chance of getting away. She said that in a 2017 interview. So now, two, 2017, Paul, that's, that's not that long ago. No. Listen. That's, yep. So one of the things that police look for in these circumstances when they're trying to kind of build a pattern, you know, mm. and establish, you know, connect people to other crimes... Mm. Uh, and we discover this with the um, with the family murders. They're looking for things that the cases have in common, and in this case, one of the things that you've dragged us back to a few times is them having the victim contact their parents to assure them everything's okay. Now that mm. happened, so Kate was forced to call her parents. This is the morning after she was caught, I believe. Mm. Mm. She's forced to call her parents. And, you know, make up some kind of bullshit story about her having spent the night at a friend's house and that she's fine. Um, and then there's this crucial moment that I really want to talk about. And that's that Catherine uh, basically leaves to check the door. I think someone was at the door, right? Mm. Mm. Um, so Catherine's taken Kate to make the phone call and then she goes to make sure the door is locked before she comes back in and kind of ties Kate up for more horror. But she leaves Kate unfastened for a second. So Kate gets out a window. At this point, like you said, she's naked and she just bolts. Hmm. Now, I'd be really, really interested to see how far from the house on Morehouse, uh, on Morehouse Street, how far this general store that she ran into was. I mean, did she run blocks and blocks and blocks? It was around the corner. Look, that's freaky. She'd be under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Remember, Paul, and I don't like... I, I just think it's really important to... Prior to that happening, she'd been raped just after midnight. But, but Catherine Burney, again, sat in a chair watching the rape and taking notes. God knows what she wrote down. 
Maybe that's one of those things we'll never get to know. But during the night, she was given pen and paper and made to write goodbye letters to her loved ones. Not letters about, oh, I'm going away. These are letters to... Look, that can only mean one thing. Yeah. And then she was made to shower again. They moved her to the master bedroom where she was raped again. Now, David Burney had handcuffed her foot to his, okay, and then gave her sleeping pills. So he slept next to her. She's handcuffed to him. And when he was given, when she was given sleeping pills and told to go to sleep, Kate, the 17-year-old amazing person, she hid the pills under her tongue and later on hid them in the mattress. I was going to ask how she would be lucid enough to grasp that sort oh, of opportunity God. the next morning. Look, but- she just, mate, she knew yeah. that she only had one chance to survive. Yeah. And she figured out that if she went to sleep... Mm. She was fucked. And we know from previous victims that they they gave them sleeping pills yeah. whilst they were asleep. Well, we know what they did to them. Yep. And she... Oh God. And, you know, the next morning, you know, the Bernies made her call her parents to say that she'd been really drunk. Yeah, like I said. Yeah. yeah. And um, then she realised that things were, were not good. And David Burney, he went to work that morning. He was a he was a reliable employee who was held in high esteem by his colleagues. I was going to ask why he wasn't there. So yeah. I mean everything seems to have sort of fallen into place to give to give Kate a if you'll forgive the pun a window to kind of mm. escape from, you know. Mm. She had, she had a very brief things sort of synced up in a way that was extremely fortunate, but like you said if she hadn't Hidden the sleeping tablet, she probably wouldn't have been lucid enough to take advantage of that opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've actually got a plan here, Paul, of the house. Oh, oh shit. God. Okay. I've, actually, I've got an actual plan. It's so fascinating. So, Catherine Burney, there was a knock on the door and the girl, oh, God, she was so clever. She'd used her lipstick and she'd written her phone number on a piece of paper and then and the chains were just for a very short period of time unshackled the door rings Catherine Burney goes to answer it the teenager she breaks the lock on one of the bedroom windows and pushes it open I've got a photograph here of the actual bedroom and the bed and everything it's fucking creepy and she fell out of the window onto the driveway she ran to the nearest house she tried three houses and no one was home and she was just wearing black leggings and a singlet and there she found this shop with a man standing outside, hysterical, hysterical. Hang on, Hang on. I, to- I was told she was naked. Um, says here, black leggings. That's pretty. That's not. That's not pants. Mm. No, it's I like- was. I was told she ran in naked. I feel like it's, uh, some people have been kind of sensationalizing this. Um, yeah, yeah, possibly, Paul. But you know, the report that I've been sort of really leaning on because I've read a lot of reports and mm. I wanted to kind of you know yeah. Yeah. make sort of as get as close to the possible truth that we could. You know, for the podcast, obviously. Um, but she found this shop. I don't know how far away. And she just she just goes up to this guy. And it hap- it's happened many times in history mm-hmm. where an innocent person standing, someone just, you know, a victim comes up and she just, she just, she's screaming and saying that she's been raped. And please take me inside. She was so, look, I, I'm, I'm in awe of her, her ability mm. to be so concise under, under this immense stressor. It's a stressor. I'm stressed. God, I'm getting stressed, buddy telling the story and um 
Now, here's something really interesting, Paul, and I know there's a lot of interesting things, but the victim says to the people in the shop, this is so brilliant. She says, if a woman comes to say that I've been in a fight with her and that I'm her daughter, don't believe her. I've been raped. Can you believe that? So she kind of had a sense of how cunning and she'd sort of almost prophesied alternate realities in terms of what may happen in her mind. She thought, shit, this woman's going to come in and say, oh, look, you know, it's, everything's fine. I've had a fight with my daughter. She's she's not stable. And and imagine if that had have happened and she had have, and the people in the shop went, oh, yeah, that's cool, and let her go back with the woman and back to the house. It's, it's, it's so scary. Yeah. But the man took her to a police station. And Kate tells the Fremantle police about her ordeal and this sex-crazed couple and... She left clues in the house. This Kate actually left clues in the house, and she describes David as having an abnormally long hooked nose, and Catherine as a short woman with a permanent frown and high cheekbones. And then the police officers rock up to Three More House Street that morning, Monday morning, and there's no one home. <clears throat> Catherine had gone out searching for the latest victim. But um, they they arrested um, um, Catherine. Yep. And um, they get her back to the police station and, you know, Catherine's sort of shitting herself. She's worried about, you know, what David's going to say because David's at work. He's, he's oblivious. He doesn't know that she's been caught. and that No, and, are... and as far as he's concerned, the girl's shackled to the bed for when he gets home so he can continue on with his, you know, behaviour. Yeah. Um, but Catherine's being interviewed and, Catherine basically says to the police, look, um, we picked up this girl. I agree to that. And she was, you know, we, and we, got, well, we all got stoned. We, we partied. We, we, we had sex. And it was all consensual. And, and that's kind of, you know, what they said, what she said to the police. Yeah. And then um, the interview sort of went on for, for quite a while. And then the police go to the spare parts shop. And they arrest him. They take him back, and they, you know they're obviously questioning them in you know different different rooms, of course. Mm-hmm. And the interview is going on and on and on, and they actually had homicide detectives, you know, because they were starting to investigate, you know, the four women from the, the prior victims. Yeah. And um, and this is kind of a bit kind of interesting, and this is a quote from one of the detectives. Okay, so I think it's it's fair to say what he said. And famously, this detective says to David Burney, it's getting dark. Why don't you just show me where the bodies are so we can dig them up? And to the detective's surprise, David Burney replies, okay, there were four of them. Now, I don't know how accurate that is insofar as I believe that it's accurate, but we don't know because we weren't there as to whether any threats or inducements were held out to the murderous couple. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, Paul? Mm-hmm. Because policing back then, hopefully, was very different to how it is now. Yep. So so our listeners can, can imagine what may or may not have happened to elicit that response or that admission. And, um, of course, what the police, once they get an admission, they then go into the other room and they say to Catherine that David's confessed. And then... She then hopefully will break her silence, which which in, invariably she did. And then on the Monday night, 
they take them out to the grave sites. And that's when they start digging up the bodies. And this is very, very pertinent to show our listeners what type of Bertha and Catherine Burney was and potentially is because she's still alive and still in custody. She went up to one of the... Now, she's in custody, of course, but she would have come very close to one of the graves and she spat on the grave with utter, utter... Now, what does that show you, Paul? She wasn't well, that's for sure. Hmm. I think that's being very, very kind to her. So that's just... um, uh, You know, imagine being the police there... On that night. Mm. Now, I have been, as you know, and you and the listeners know, that I was involved in some, you know, remember the Mr. Asia yep. case yep. where it was midnight and, and I was the guy. I I was the guy digging up the headless body. While well, we had a guy in custody from Long Bay Jail, cuffed two detectives, yep. and he told me where to dig. So I've been there in that situation the bodies that I've exhumed over the years, you know, at, at murder sites, have all been pretty ratchet in terms of, you know, decomposition. Yeah. These four victims had not really decomposed. Okay? Right. And it would have been... And then, of course, exhuming the bodies at the time, the forensic investigators you know, would have been painstakingly sort of like an archaeologist being very, very delicate and also very sensitive and also very compassionate to the to the victims. And then to have these terrible, terrible wounds revealed, you know, like a, the, the axe wounds to the head, etc., the cutthroat, the, you know, the, the knives being driven into the chest cavities and it's just, God, it's so bad. And... Ultimately, they uh, they were tried for four counts of murder. And David Burney, when he was in his 50s, a few years later, um, they the couple were sort of writing a lot of letters to each other. Um, you know, there's a whole sort of another side story about their, their lives in jail and you know, they're, they're sort of the way they sort of moved apart. But, um, you know, David Burney ultimately hung himself in, in a prison cell. You know, he, this David Burney, when he was in prison, <clears throat> he was regularly in fights. He was beaten up all the time. He spent a lot of time in the prison infirmary. This is incredible, Paul. The Burneys exchanged 2,600 letters whilst they were in prison. Some of their children... Um, like Catherine Burney, she had six kids. Mm-hmm. Some of the kids actually said, and, and this is a quotation, Paul, from the media, some of the children actually wished that she'd got the death penalty. Right. How heavy is that? It's a heavy thing to say about your mum. It's pretty intense. God, in 2005, he was charged with the sexual assault of a fellow prisoner. Jesus Christ. They found pornographic images on his computer. Oh, it just goes on and on and on. 
And then on the morning of the 7th of October 2005, prison officers entering cell 12A at the protective custody unit at Casuarina Prison found the body of 54-year-old David Burney. He was hanging by a sheet from an air vent. No one claimed his body. He was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave. How's that? No one. He just died and he's in an unmarked grave. But she, Mm. she is still alive, still in custody. And there are people, eminent people, who are trying to get her released. Um, so, look, it's a, it's a tragedy and it's a terrible story. But it's not the worst story because we are going to be talking about another terrible um, serial killer in that same region that happened 10 years later. Let's just close out on this. I don't think I would ever be able to live in that house and I'm very curious as to whether any of our listeners live on Morehouse and whether they've got any feelings about this because I can't imagine how much it would mess with you emotionally knowing that these things happen. Because, you know, there's there's bad things and there's bad things. Mm. Mm. And I think it does take a certain kind of constitution to be able to process that and not mm. hold it with you. Mm. But, well, I guess, um, but I guess also, Paul, that if you don't know something bad's happened there, like, you know, mm. does it... <laughs> I don't think the walls, although this is sort of in contradiction to some of our paranormal investigative work, but I don't, I don't know whether the walls are going to say to you, look, some bad shit happened here and I'm going to make your life miserable because I can. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think my, my simplistic view was to bulldoze the house with respect to the people that, that are there at the moment. I mean, golly, you know. Uh, but I've had feedback from listeners over there um, and I'm... I'm going to say something to you now, Paul, that you may cut, okay? And if you do, that's fine. But I received very, very credible uh, information during the week from one of our one of our listeners, diehard listener, um, and he knows various people within the um, you know the police force and also corrective services. And he told me something pretty bad that happened to the um the bad guy the guy we've been talking about that ultimately hung himself in his cell but you may choose to not mention it but do you want me to mention it i guess so you know in jail you can be put into protective custody for, for lots of reasons mm-hmm. you know prisons do it to protect prisoners from other prisoners because it's pretty heavy and there's actually a and 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 this has been possibly discussed before but there is a moral code within penal institutions they actually prisoners rate crimes as well did you know that paul yeah i've heard about you know kind of retribution against specifically crimes committed against children correct and and so pedophiles and police for example Mm. are generally not allowed to go into the main areas you know like the major sort of central areas because they actually will probably be killed, mm-hmm. and so they're, they're they're placed in special, you know, areas within the prisons, and that that's probably a universal, um, you know, situation. Sure. But um, my very credible um, informant, shall we say, told me a story during the week, <clears throat> and that is that 
um, some of the prisoners um, inserted a bottle into our offender's anus and then jumped on it and broke it. And he had to go into hospital to have surgery. So that's kind of the sort of thing. It's not the worst thing that we've ever discussed on this podcast, but, you know, there are some pretty sort of... There's this justice in... That's a funny word to use, justice, which is we don't know what actually triggered that particular event. Could have been completely unrelated, you know? Could have been completely unrelated. There's a reason we do loose ends, folks, and that's because after these episodes, after these investigations that we're embarking on, you really do need something to kind of counteract the way mm. it leaves you feeling. I know the, I do. <laughs> yeah. So this week on Loose Ends, we've got something kind of very specific and strange for you. So make sure you tune in for that. Really, I hope everyone's doing okay after this episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Next week, we will be looking at yet another location at which terrible things happened in Australia. What's interesting about this, Dad, is that people can go to these places. You can listen to the episode and go to the place and you can test our theory that there is... I I believe there is nothing inherently evil about geography. It is people. Hmm. You know, it's not the cell in which the monster resides that is bad. It's the monster in the cell, Hmm. right? Geography is blameless, Having said that, there are absolutely places where I would never want to go and have a kip. Mm. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of this show. We really do appreciate it. We really do. We hope you have a good week. And we will see you very soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.